Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. The evolution of a young athlete is a complicated one. Taking a recreational youth player to a more regimented and specified high school competitor requires a delicate balance. Furthermore, extending the careers of highly trained pro athletes presents its own unique challenges. Mike Robertson of Robertson Training Systems is no stranger to ushering high-level athletes into the next phase of their sports evolution. This week, Robertson offers up his experience maximizing youth potential and similarly maintaining the exceptional skill set of the specialist. This is episode 271. Sunday. Ladies and gentlemen, that's right. It is Sunday for some of you listening to this. If, this you're, a, if they're listening on Sunday. If that's what I, very, you are like the sharpest marble in the bag, buddy. <laughs> and this is another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. conditioning. Ing, ing. Remember, folks, if you want a shirt that says I-N-G-I-N-G-I-N-G on it, send an email to Harry, H-A-R-R-Y, at PowerAthleteHQ.com, <laughs> subject... Give me that shirt and then just say in the email body, I want an ing, ing, ing shirt. Luke, John, and Tex sent me. Don't ask any questions. Add that in the email. Uh, and maybe we'll get one step closer. I cannot wait till we get our ing, ing, ing shirts. It's going to be great. And they're going to be different colors. It's not just going to be black and white. I'm thinking like a nice mauve with a yellow. Ooh, well, well don't we have uh, those purple shirts? Somebody just gave us some purple shirts. Uh, who was that? I'm not sure. Was it Zach Evanesh? No, no, it was, it was the was brothers. Zach. Oh, the brothers, the Lucas. No, no, uh, uh, Zach Evanesh gave us the pink, the pink shirts. Yes. Yeah, the ones that talk about uh, old school. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we're just going to bore you for, how about, literally only 30 seconds. So just give us 30 seconds. Don't hit that fast forward button because maybe I said 30 seconds, but it's going to be a minute and then you're going to mm-hmm. be stuck listening. It is symposium season, people. Events. PowerAthleteHQ.com. That is where you're going to learn about the 2018 Power Athlete Symposium, a three-day speaker experience in Austin, Texas, the premier speaker experience regarding strength and conditioning in Austin, Texas. Well, Austin, Texas not only has uh, ACL, uh, South by Southwest, it now has the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Premier Symposium. Well, and... The premier symposium in strength and conditioning. In strength and conditioning. Ing. 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 So, so, I mean, we're, you know, I mean, uh, you know, South by Southwest and ACL, I mean, are in good company now. So what we have, what we have booked right now is a event at Native Event Center. It's a, it's kind of a boutique hostel environment. It's super fucking cool. It's super central, right by tons of food, right by Rainy Street, right by Sixth Street. I mean, your five minute walk to everything you'd ever want to do in Austin. And we have confirmed podcast alumni. Dr. Kara Miller. So she's going to be there. She's going to be ripping, uh, ripping heads off of, of goats and, you know, doves and just what? really slaughtering at animals on stage. What? Oh, my it's it called it the Aussie. <laughs> ah, ah. No, she's going to be tearing into um, her, how she approaches leadership development. And we have a special panelist that's going to be partnered up with her where she's going to do basically a clinical in front of the whole crew. And it's going to be super, super cool to see her thought process and how she changes the perspective and broadens perspective for leaders in industry, for coaches. It's going to be, I think, unlike anything else that you've ever seen at any sort of strength and conditioning conference, right? And uh, it's going to be super, super trip. So get to events powerathletehq.com and get your tickets today. Hey, hey. Now let's talk 
some strength and conditioning shit. We have a special guest here. It is not John Wellborn, even though John is here. Well, right, John? I thought I was the, uh, the always well, a special guest. No, well, now you're just featured, a guest. You're featured oh, guest. I'm featured guest. <laughs> you were a featured guest. Now you can. We're, we're working on getting you down that totem pole. Hey, you know what? Uh, I'm just, you know, I'm just happy to be playing a role in the, you know, in the bigger picture of this thing. And we couldn't be happier for you. <laughs> Today, we have Mike Robertson on the horn. He's our guest on Power Athlete Radio. What episode do you think we're at with this little guy? Two million? Approaching 269. That's Ooh. for sure. Ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't heard of Mike Robertson, then what rock have you been hiding under? Right? This dude's been all over. He's got, Tex, you told me one of the well, I was top, on his 10, podcast. top 10 gyms. Yeah, you were on his episode number 75 of his podcast, of his podcast which is one away from a sin. Which would have been your your football number, right? Yeah, no, it was. Uh, you know, uh, he hit me up, and I think I connected with him through text, and we jumped on. And um, yeah, he's, we listened to him speak at Elite uh, FTS, FTS. Yeah, yep. uh, that Mark Watts put on. He put in a collection of education, professional, sure. mm-hmm. uh, personal gym industry. I don't know what you call it, private. I'm still wondering what the um, um, calf smash mash or the uh, the toe up calf smash thing that uh, that fucking Barnacle of a strength coach who ripped on CrossFit football. Remember? Um, oh, Buddy Morris. Yeah, yeah, Buddy Morris talked about uh, what was it? It was like a toe over calf, calf smash or something. He basically was like alluding to something they do in their programming that I'd never heard of and couldn't find anything. And mm-hmm. I ended up emailing him and being like, "Hey, what the fuck is this?" And he never. And he responded to me, but it was like, but you know who did respond from that conference? Mike Robertson. That's yes. right, baby. And uh, so Mike is the president of Robertson Training Systems. He's got a facility out of Indiana where they're basically bred to play basketball at IU, right? And uh, we're going to dig into all sorts of shit, people. Strap yourself in. Mike Robertson, here we go. Thanks for jumping on the show. Of course, man. Thanks for having me, guys. If if some of our listeners haven't heard your name, uh, give them some background on you. I mean, uh, you're you're a pretty accomplished dude at this point, but, I mean, there's had there was some beginning point, right, where it was just humble, passionate coach. So where, where did it start? How did you get into this thing? Yeah, I'll, I'll try and give you the shorter version of the the three or four that I tell. But, you know, like I think a lot of us, I grew up loving sports. I was passionate about sports and just wanted to be the best, in my case, basketball player that I possibly could. So, you know, th- all the jokes are true about Indiana. We're super like psychotic about basketball. I was no different. And so I, literally anything I could do to improve my game, I, w- I was willing to look at and went to a really small high school. And when I say small, I mean really small. Like I graduated with 47 kids and we didn't even get a weight room in our high school until in between my sophomore and junior years. So I was like way behind the eight ball and, you know, we're just doing the dumbest stuff ever, right? Like every like 15 year old kid, it's like a thousand sets of biceps. We bench three days a week. You max every Friday. But for me, it was kind of cool because even though we were doing all this dumb stuff, like I was still sound dumb to me at all. Yeah, that's yeah, that, I was like, I think we did that today. <laughs> yeah, Mike, that's program we're following now. <laughs> it's like bro etiquette, right? Basically, you train arms every day. But it, anyway, so I do all this, and the crazy thing is, I'm doing like this ridiculous workout, and I'm still seeing a change in my physique, in my game, and so that really kind of set everything in motion. I was like, man, I love sports, but I love this side of it too. So I went to Ball State, did the whole undergrad thing. Spent four years taking body comps, uh, learning how to take people's blood pressure while they rode exercise bikes and training approximately zero people. 
So didn't really know what to do with myself at that point in time, but I got an internship at the Ball State University Athletic Weight Room, and that really started it all for me because I realized I could merge the two things in life I was most passionate about, which was working out and being around sports. And so that really started everything for me. That was in 2000, and here we are 18 years later. I've been coaching people basically ever since, owned a facility for the last 10 years called IFAST. So, yeah, lots of stuff going on, but that's really how it all got started for me. That's great, man. John, what were you doing in 2000? 2000, I was in my second year in the NFL. Oh, man, that's what, smashing that's been, dudes. Uh, that's been miserable. Yeah. Uh, no, I was single. Uh, I had this great life. Uh, now I'm married with three kids, which is an even better life. Oddly uh, enough, we peaked in the same year. Uh, I was a junior in high school. And, man, we had just one state. Uh, oh. oh, those are good days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm gonna cry. Well, what a great show, folks! Yeah, uh, Mike, awesome. thanks for coming on. Uh, <laughs> we're all gonna go home real sad just thinking uh, about how awesome things dude, were. Uh, I think we first connected though when we went out and saw you speak at Dave Tate's yeah, uh, lead deal, F- lead FTS, Mark Watts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Mark yep. invited us to come out there. It was actually the first time I, you know, I'd, I'd heard your name and uh, you know over the years, but uh, it was actually the first time I got to hear you speak, and um, I thought it was great. Um, you know, I mean, that was. Uh, Interesting, uh, like Dave Tate trying to, you know, get elite FTS kind of back into, you know, a performance training and kind of collegiate strength coaches. And it was kind of their forte. And actually, you know, bringing on Mark Watts was great. I thought he put together an awesome event. I remember it was funny. Uh, we showed up as spectators and people were like, are you speaking? I'm like, no, I'm here to learn. This is great stuff. <laughs> uh, I remember Joe, Joe DeFranco got up there and said, I, I don't know anything about how to get people fast. I just know we push sleds and uh, <laughs> they seem to run faster. Which I, I thought was, to this day, is probably one of the best admissions by a strength coach. He's like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I just know when guys do heavy things, guys get better. So I thought it was a, yeah. it was a good event, but that was the first time. And then we you know, obviously jumped on the second podcast. So that was good. Yeah, man. And, and I think the funny thing about that event was, I don't think Dave thought it would work. I think Mark was really sold that this is going to be a great idea. And man, he just crushed it. I think there were close to 300 people at that event. So, sure. and I mean, you got guys like Buddy Morris you know, Joe Ken. I mean, it, it was a really cool day and obviously great to meet you. And yeah, the, uh, the podcast that we did was definitely one of the most unique because <laughs> I love the fact that it was like an hour of like training. And then it was like 45 minutes of just old school NFL stories. So well, yeah, love it, that part of it. Well, it's funny the people don't always have a, like, a like you actually had a, a knowledge of these teams at that time when people are like, you know, yep. it's what it was like, you know, 15, 18 years ago, you know, where we were talking about this stuff. And like, to me, it still seems relevant. And then I have to remember like, fuck, that was like generations ago. I mean, we meet kids today that were like, you know, just being born in 2000. I'm like, Oh man, <laughs> fuck, you don't even different know world, man. Well, yeah. And it was a different NFL. Um, like I see yeah. the NFL today and like the way guys are training and whatnot. And I just think, um, uh, I think that, that they're missing something. I mean, you, you see it. I mean, you're working with a ton of athletes. It just seems yeah. that uh, I, I don't know if we've gone too far this way or that, you mm-hmm. know, everybody's so focused on injury prevention and that there's uh, this idea that, hey, you know, we're not going to push into the weight room. They're here. We're going to do it. Whereas we had this idea of like, hey, man, we're going to go in there and just try to fucking lift all the weights. I mean, have you seen kind of a change in, in really in professional sports? I just have seen this and I just see it in the physiques of just like how the guys look. I mean, especially in the offensive line, I see these dudes today and I'm like, fuck, man, these guys don't look at all like we physically looked, you know? Yeah. For reference. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I Go just ahead. want to highlight your show, Mike. So it's the physical preparation podcast, episode number 75 from May 5th, yes. 2017. Yep. Still, still one of my favorites because we were on late. I mean, we recorded that till like 11 o'clock. We were going, so it was fun. Yeah. 
But, uh, you know, I think you're absolutely right, John. It's, you know, the NFL is unique too. Like I've got a handful of, of people that I consider friends that are, are working in the SNC side of that. And, you know, part of it's just the collective bargaining agreement, right? I feel like a lot of these strength coaches actually feel hamstrung because they just don't have enough time with these guys. Like nine weeks isn't enough to develop an athlete. And then, you know, you take a break and then they're off with, you know, their, their home-based SNC coach or whoever they're working with offsite. And I mean, you know, as well as I do, some of those guys are really good and some of them really suck. Yeah. So, you know, you got to deal with that. And, and I think you're right. Like when it comes to, especially your world and keep in mind, I know a fraction of what you do. And I've worked with a very small amount of guys that played in the NFL, but I'll tell you this, like the guys that I feel like have held up, they still lift pretty freaking heavy. You know, I remember a couple of years ago, Dwayne Allen, um, who I, I had the pleasure of working with for an off season. And he came back for a second off season. He was actually getting ready to move out and, and start playing for the Patriots at the time. But he came in for like three days and I'm like, dude, I don't know what you're doing, but like his physique had totally changed. And he's like, the big thing here is number one, I got real serious about my diet. And he said, number two, I kind of went back to the things that got me here. You know, when I was at Clemson, we pushed heavy weights, we squatted, we power cleaned, we got after it. And he's like, I think I got away from that a little bit. And he had dealt with some injury stuff. I mean, that's no secret. Like you can go look on Wikipedia and they'll tell you what he's dealt with. But he was just like, look, I'm just really serious about getting back to the player that I was. And I mean, it was noticeable that change in just a year of him getting serious about his diet, getting really serious about pushing heavy weights again and being serious in the weight room, I think really paid dividends for him. It, you know, I mean, I, it seems like, um, you know, and we, we do this with technology a lot of times. I mean, they have to continue and Luke always gets on me like there has to be updated versions, even though the certain version that we might have liked where I'm like, ah, you know what? I thought the iPhone a couple iPhones ago was pretty good. I don't know why they have to do it, but they got to constantly be selling you something new. So it always has to look better. I wonder if we right. get stuck within that trap within the training deal. Like, uh, like, I mean, we, we test things all the time. I mean, we've been using, uh, like a true form runner, which I think is, is, is an interesting piece for the mere fact that, uh, we don't really like to run on it, but it's a really interesting <laughs> running trainer. Like, uh, and I remember yeah. when they, when they brought it to us, the guy was like, oh, it's great for running. And I'm like, I, I think this thing just teaches people how to sprint. So if we can get people to run on the true form, and then take them outside and let them sprint, it actually fixes mechanics. Um, yep. You know, we use, uh, you know, occlusion and EMS, and we just are constantly playing with these things. Uh, but it never really takes over from what we've always kind of done within the basics. And I think sometimes yes. within the training space, we have this idea of always, hey, I, I have to be able to, you know, uh, you know, have the, the latest and greatest. And uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, as our buddy Zach, um, uh, Zach Evanesh always likes to talk about the basics. But it really yep. just goes back to that stuff, and it doesn't really matter if you're, you know, NFL player or high school kid or whatever it is. It's still pretty much like everybody has to eat their meat and potatoes, kind of the basics. And so when you get into this coaching thing and you're working with your athletes, how do you really bridge that? Like, how do you give them enough of like what I call like the, uh, you know, like the the fancy kind of cool stuff, but enough of the basics to be able to kind of have balance? Smoke and mirrors, right? Yeah, yeah, you know. I, I think that the number one thing that you can do is if you can provide demonstrable results in fairly short order in any way, you're going to have more buy-in, right? So one of the big things that we try and do is, you know, people are going to, they fall on one or two sides of the fence when it comes to like resets and breathing and that sort of thing. But like, if I can get you some hip motion back that you haven't had, or if I can get your low back to loosen up, like that's demonstrable and that's immediate. And so people respond well to that. 
But then I always have to bring it back to, well, that's great. And that's cool for me because that's the stuff I geek out on. But like, how does this impact you? So always finding ways to make it relevant. And so for me, it's always, okay, hey, this is cool. But now, now we can load up your squat a little bit more. And maybe an athlete doesn't care about squatting, but I guarantee a basketball player cares about his vertical jump. So if I explain to him, look, like you're super explosive, but you're not strong enough. And that is your weak link. If we make you a little bit stronger, we're going to add inches to your vert. That resonates with them. That captures their attention. And when you can take that and sell that vision and then actually produce the results on the back end, that's when you get like the long-term buy-in because they know like, look, I've been doing this for six, seven, eight years now. And I put whatever an inch on my vert and you've spent three weeks with me or four weeks with me. And we just added two inches. So things like that, I think really make a, a profound impact and being able to take everything that you do and relate it back to them and how it's going to benefit them. Because too often, one of my good friends, Eric Otter, works for the, the Memphis Grizzlies. And he's always talked to me about, are we checking boxes for us or are we checking boxes for them? And for me, it's, hey, look, like there's things that I want to do, but it's got to be a collaboration. And ultimately, it's all about checking as many boxes for you so that you feel good, you play good, and ultimately you're ready to go on game day. So that's kind of how I always try and approach it with them is finding ways to make what I do relevant to them because they're not there just to lift weights. How can I make you a better basketball player? How can I make you a better soccer player? Well, it seems like in basketball today, I mean, geez, just watching the, the length of the season, which the NBA, uh, NBA guys are playing and just the size of those individuals. I mean, I'm watching LeBron James. Uh, they posted some training stuff of him. Yeah, and, him box squatting? Oh, well, no, he was squatting really awful. Uh, I thought uh, that was just a really tall, <laughs> invisible box. Uh, well, at first I <laughs> kind of hoped good? it wasn't him. And then I looked and I'm like, no, that was him. And he was squatting wide. Yeah. He was squatting high. And I'm like, you know, and I can see his trainer in the back. He's probably like, I'm just happy he's doing something. I mean, the guy's been, you know, geez, what's he played like? 15, 15 years. years. Yeah, 15 years. So it's like the fact that he's even doing anything is pretty good. I mean, you think about how beat up those guys are, but just the uh, the longevity piece, like everybody always thinks about like, oh, I need to be stronger. I need a vertical jump. I need to be, you know, be able to do all this. But then you look at the training space, it's like the ability to create longevity and uh, resilience, which is, you know, seems to be this buzzword we keep running into. But like um, being able to kind of uh, periodize it in such a way that like, hey, this is what I did in the beginning. This is what I, I'm doing as I get into the twilight. And, yep. you know, you know, how do you extend an athlete's career? I mean, for a guy like him, I mean, what he came in the NBA what, when he was 18 years old. Yes. Yeah. Jump from high school. Yeah. Straight from high school in. And now he's played. And they're like, I can't believe the guy's played 15 years. I'm like, isn't he only in his 30s? <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. pretty, he's just... like 33 or 34. But <laughs> and, and you factor in the fact he's played in multiple Olympics. I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure. He's not just playing 82 games. He's playing 100 plus games every year. He's playing into June. What I think he's been to like the last seven or eight finals. So just the accumulated wear and tear, you're absolutely right. So this is a really interesting piece and something that I, I love talking about because the vision that you sell a 21-year-old kid or a 22-year-old kid like we have when we're doing pre-draft stuff is totally different than what I'm going to sell somebody that's 31, 32, right? Like that guy, it's like, hey, how good can I get you feeling? right? How much of your performance can I get back without taxing your system too much? Because ultimately to that guy, the measurables don't matter all that much, right? You know, as well as I do, they're savvy, right? Like they know where to be. They understand the game, their perceptions off the charts. As they always say, the game slows down the longer you play. So I'm selling a different model. It's like, Hey, how good can we get you feeling? You know, how, how long can we extend your career? Because you know, as well as I do too, the NBA money is crazy 
right now. So if I could get a guy an extra two or three years, how many extra millions of dollars is that for him? So I think it comes down to as a coach or as a trainer, number one, you got to have a vision, right? And the vision changes. It evolves. Like as the player evolves, as the league evolves, as the team evolves, your vision has to change. And, and then it's ultimately being able to sell that vision to them. And I think that's what great coaches do. They, they have that ability to, to have a vision for where this athlete can be that maybe even the athlete doesn't have, you know, like they may have some vision, but as I think a good coach always has a higher level vision of where that person can be. They're great at selling it. And then ultimately they're great at producing those results so that that vision is ultimately fulfilled. And would you say even regardless of the level, of the athlete athletes want to be coached by someone they trust? So if you have uh, I that think, vision and paint that picture, it, it, it fills a void for them. Absolutely. I think all great coaches or all great athletes want to be coached. And, and this is a tough one because, you know, you hear about certain, especially high level athletes. Well, they don't, you know, maybe they're not responsive to coaching. Well, maybe they're just not responsive to that coach. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that com- that coach doesn't command their respect. And again, coming back to the LeBron example, like I don't know LeBron, but I'd imagine if Greg Popovich was coaching him, he'd probably have a little bit more, you know, uh, he'd be a little bit more open-minded to, to being coached than, you know, a guy like Tyron Lue who's been in the league one or two years. So I think all great athletes want to be coached. Then it's just about finding the right buttons to push because every guy is different. Mm-hmm. And, and again, you can't coach a guy that's been in the NFL the same way you coach an NBA guy. And you can't coach him the same way you coach a guy that's been in the MOS right? Because of the cultural differences, how they've been coached in the past, the psyche, it's all different. So I think that's a huge part of it is being able to really connect with each individual athlete. You think Popovich is uh, the best the NBA's got right now? I do. Well, okay. That's tough. Uh, I, I he, immediately want to say yes, but Brad I, Stevens I, is really good. I like Brad Popovich. Stevens is really good. Uh, just for the, the fact of not only the way he coaches, but um, I really appreciate how outspoken he is. Like, like I was watching, they were asking him questions and all of a sudden he diverted this thing into like, uh, you know, immigration and this and Trump. I mean, the guy like went down this rabbit hole and these reporters were kind of like, ah, what are you hoping to get out of the draft? And he's like, we're not talking about fucking basketball. But no, I think uh, like the way Popovich approaches it is uh, as good as anybody's doing these days. Mike, have you You read, have you read culture code? Dan, uh, so Dan is that, Coyle, oh, is that the one that talks about him? Yeah, so he spent yes, some time. Oh. I highly recommend it. Dan Coyle, same as Talent Code author, and he kind of dives into the approach. And interesting, Popovich, he would have been a spy for the U.S. if he, because he Air Force grad, yeah. spoke all these different languages and chose basketball. Huh. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. Number one, I, I, I was going to cite that book and couldn't remember where I read it. So you're absolutely right. But I actually met him for like 20 minutes. This was like 2013. And I was just sitting on the sideline. Roy was working out with some of the other guys. And he comes up and I just get tapped on the shoulder. And I look up and I'm like, oh, shit, that's Greg Popovich, you know. And he's like, no, 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 sit down. I'm like, no, I'm not going to sit down. I'm going to stand up and talk to you. And so we chatted for like 20 minutes. And it's so funny because the things that they allude to in that book, like the mannerisms and the close proximity and contact and just that feeling of connecting with somebody 100% on point. And again, I think most good coaches do that, whether they know it or not. I think a lot of times good coaches intuitively kind of know, Hey, how do I approach this person? How do I talk to them? How can I relate and create a connection as quickly as possible? Cause we know if we can do that, then we're probably going to get the most out of the athletes that we're working with. 
so different than in football where actually the coaches, I think, try to do the exact opposite of How making so? any type. Oh, I mean, look at the Bill Belichicks of the world. You sure. know, or Andy Reid or any of these guys that kind of came out of that Mike Holmgren deal. They have this idea of like, uh, I remember literally walking down the hall and Andy Reid like not even acknowledging. You know, you're like, all right, well, yeah, that's kind of weird. But, is, but, uh, but like that's, uh, the, but like I just think that's kind of within the, maybe the football kind of deal. But, or the professional level. Because, I mean, college, you got to get a hell of a lot more out of a kid than at the pro- professional, right? Well, yeah. The I mean, non-developmental the, league. They're like, hey, we're paying you money. We're writing you a check. We don't really have to yeah, say hello to you. job. Whereas in basketball, <laughs> but this is different. And basketball players are, uh, you know, I mean. I, I, Big divas, right? I, I wasn't going to say prima donnas. <laughs> but if you think about this, right, much smaller group. I mean, what's there, like 10, 12 guys on a team? Opposed from football where there's 50 or 60 or in college, 100. So now you have a situation where like every, you know, I just remember the difference between our workouts just in the weight room in college between when we were in there and then the basketball players were in there because the strength coaches used to almost run the basketball players like it was like a personal training deal. And, uh, you know, we trained in big groups. It was just, you know, a lot of yelling and screaming. I just remember there was like a lot of PT, a lot of personal training. It looked like one-on-one sessions with the basketball players. And I remember it was yeah. uh, Sharif Abdul-Rahim was at Cal that one year. And, like, they treated that dude like he was, I mean, like the strength coach met him at the door, opened the door for him, brought him in, put his, I mean, it was like, holy <laughs> shit, dude. Like, they, like, we're just trying not to get fucking thrown out of the weight room. And this dude's over here ready to carry him in here, you know, like they're on the first date. <laughs> You know, but I just think yeah. that's kind of a difference. And you know, like you said, like um, every sport kind of dictates kind of a different person. The, the people that survive and really, you know, grow to a good position kind of gravitate towards one way. And I just know in basketball, they treat those guys. I mean, because they really are. There's just so few guys that can do that job and then be able to do that durability factor. Yeah. It, and I think the balance of power is so skewed in the NBA as well. You know, I mean, you look at guys getting paid $40 million a year now to play basketball. Like no coach is getting more than probably five. So, I mean, just the balance of power is so massive and the ability for one athlete to get a coach fired. I mean, I don't know, maybe that's happened in the NFL, but I can't remember it happening like that. So it's just a different dynamic. And I think that's one of the unique things about working across multiple sports over the years is you just start to pick up on some of these little subtle differences that maybe from the outside in, you wouldn't notice. Have you worked with any AAU kids? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. How, we, how has that changed throughout your career? Has that, I guess, mentality, culture that the NBA is holding travel and trickle down to that level? Um, you know, maybe to some extent. I, I think basketball is unique in the fact that, like, so many kids are catered to. Like, if you're really good or you're exceptional, like, you stand out. It's very noticeable, like even more so than, say, a football player who's got a very like physical presence. Like if you're seven two, you stand out. Right. There's no way around that. So I think there's that part of it. But, you know, the big thing for me and I think the thing that's changed the most since guys, at least like John and I were, were kids, is just how big of an emphasis those pieces play in the entire sporting universe. Right. Like for me, like, hey, you yeah, you know, you played it for like three months when your season was over, but it didn't take up into the end of July. Right. And then, you know, you're right back into open gyms and then you're right back into your season. So there's really like no time for these kids to develop anymore. And that's almost true across sports. I mean, you see it in the soccer world too. I mean, these kids, as soon as they're done with their, their high school season, they have a week off and then their club coach is barking at them to get in and start conditioning for club season. So I think just that's one of the biggest issues that I see 
in our facility and with the kids that I've trained over the years, there's just no time for them to develop anymore. And you keep talking about this idea of resiliency and being robust. It's a big part of why they're not that way. You know, they don't have this time to get out and, and whether it's free play, whether it's getting in the gym and just getting stronger for three, four months in the off season, they're not getting the time to develop athletically and physically like we'd like. They're, they're getting even better than probably ever before technically, but there's a lot of other pieces of the puzzle that we're missing out on. The, does that also include the mental side of the game, like a heavy barbell learning the grut, the grit, the challenge? Absolutely. I mean, how many lessons, and obviously we're all biased because we love this, this piece of it, but how many lessons have we learned under a bar, right? Or, or a bar is about to crush us from a squat or a bench press, or, you know, you're not going to get, you don't think you can budge this bar from the ground on a deadlift. Like there's a lot of mental fortitude that's built in the weight room. And I think that's something that every kid can benefit from. You don't have to be, you know, like powerlifting level strong to benefit from that. And that's one of the things, you know, I started working with a handful of higher level soccer girls right now. And I hadn't worked with like high school level soccer girls in probably six, seven years, but it's been really fun because you can watch and you guys have seen it too. You can see their confidence grow, right? They just walk a little bit different. They got a little bit more swagger. They're more comfortable in their own skin. Like that's one of the best parts about working with those kids. If you can get them to commit to the weight room, so much good stuff can happen for them. It also helps to prevent injuries. I mean, uh, Absolutely. The, the rash of injuries with female soccer players. I just saw a deal like the highest level of concussions of any athlete is uh, female soccer players. Mm. Yeah. Um, they were, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, it's pretty amazing if you look at the amount of injuries for female sports for like torn ACLs and it's just, it, it's off the charts. And the reason being is that um, I think, like you said, they're, they're probably playing too much and not really learning yep. fundamentals and basics. And it's like, uh, I just know that, uh, you know, my daughters are six and they haven't done any organized stuff yet, but we were, you know, looking at like putting them in soccer and like the amount of opportunities we have from like indoor, outdoor season, off season. I was like, ah, this is kind of overwhelming. I'm going to come back to this. Oh. Like, let's just pick <laughs> one. Do you guys want to play indoor or outdoor? And they're like, ah, we like to play outdoor. I'm like, okay, do you guys want to play like one day a week, two days a week? Or they're like, how about one? I'm like, perfect. One day a week outdoor. That's just yeah. going to be more that there'll be one practice I'll take you to. And they're like, um, you know, like this idea of like, uh, and I hate to say this cause I sound fucking old, but like let kids be kids because there's going to become a day right. where all of a sudden this shit isn't fun anymore. Right. And it becomes a yeah. job. And like, you know, and I know my brother who coaches my nephew is running the same thing where he tells his parents all the time, like, don't worry, your son's not getting ready for the fucking MLB at 11. <laughs> like he's got a long way to go. Like, let's, let, let's make sure they're having fun at least for a little bit. Like you don't need to make this awful at 10 years old. Yeah, no. And, and I mean, just to that point, like, so my daughter is seven and a half and she's played soccer for like three seasons now. Right. So for, since she was like in kindergarten and we practice once a week and we play once a week. And I think that's great, but there are kids in first grade here. And I'm assuming probably where you guys are as well, but there's kids in first grade that are playing, practicing three nights a week and playing between one and three matches on the weekend. And when they're in first grade, seven years old, it's too much. I mean, it's just ludicrous. It's absolutely too much. And you know, yeah, yeah, they are. I'm sure they are getting better. You can do anything five or six times a week and you're probably going to get better at it. Mm -hmm. But is that the best thing for you to do? I would argue it's probably not. So then what, how would you, how would you level that out? Let's say, and I know we've had this talk a few times with some guests, but it, 
Let's say we have a parent listening. They've just saw the light and they're like, fuck, that's me. I'm the three matches a week and four <laughs> days of practice a well, week. Well, what do you, Mike, I, what do you think's best for I think what happens, Luke, is, uh, is I hopefully, and I'm going to fucking preface this with hopefully, hopefully the parent isn't the one that's like, you know, pushing the kid to do it as much, as much as I feel like it's like uh, the coaches where it's like, oh, hey, you know, we're playing here, but we're also doing this. And then next thing you know, as a parent, you got your kids signed up for three different teams. So I wonder if yeah, like that kind sure. of piece. Yeah, no, I'm sh- a lot of that is club directed, right? Because at the end of the day, follow the money, money's going to the club. So that's a big part of it. But I think one of the things, and I don't claim to be a perfect parent, that's for sure. But when it comes down to this stuff, something that I'm trying to do with my daughter, with my son is basically what we did, right? So in the, the fall, we're going to play soccer In the winter, we're going to play basketball. In the spring, we're going to play with my son. He's, I'm going to try and get him to play baseball or T-ball or whatever is age appropriate for five years old. And, you know, it, for me, it's not even so much about, like, getting really good at sports. It's just about exposing them to a bunch of different stuff mm-hmm. and then seeing what they like, you know. So, like, in, in the summer now, it's ungodly hot and humid here in Indiana. So, it's like we go to the pool a lot. That's something different. It's like a different, it's not exercise, but I want them to be active and I want them to feel comfortable in their own skin. And, you know, if they really gravitate to something down the line, then that's awesome. Like I'll do everything I can to support them. But ultimately for me, it's all about, I just think of the word exposure. How much different stuff can I expose them to at an early age? And then they figure out for themselves what they like and what they really want to focus on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seems like the non-crazy response. You pass. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really try not to be crazy but, about I mean, my kids, especially. It's kind of interesting. Like if um, I don't think uh, with kids and at least my kids, maybe they're a little bit different, but like we don't really have to force them to like to train or to do exercise. It's kind of interesting. Like my daughters, they uh, they eat and then they get up and they work on their gymnastics. So like, it's yeah, kind of yeah. funny. Like they're working on their like handstand to like kickups and like uh, my daughter tries to do a hundred before she leaves for in the morning. Like, so like, uh, I, I get down and like, we're eating breakfast and she's doing them in sets of 10. And then my other daughter will like go over and they constantly are doing all this stuff. And they do it like <laughs> as they eat, like it drives me crazy. Cause they won't like finish their meals. But like, yes. as I was trying to just track, like how much stuff they do on a daily basis. And I'm like thinking like, man, if we could just attain just a little bit of this stuff, like, uh, it's just, you know, and that's where I kind of think with some of the kids stuff, like if you can put them in, uh, in a little bit of organized play, but also allow them some just free kind of unorganized stuff to go out and just be kids. I'm just so nervous of like uh, constantly always having somewhere for them to be programmed. Like you have to go do this and then you need these shoes and do here and here and here. And it's like, how do you kind of open them up and like allow like enough of them to have free play that it kind of develops them to be able to do stuff, but also enough structure and that balance. And I think that's what parents are really just searching for, which is the idea of some balance. I absolutely love that. And you probably know this as well, but how often do you go outside and then all of a sudden your kids just invent something or they start doing something right? Like, like my, my son, if we go to the park, there's this beautiful park and he could run all around. He runs over because there's a creek and there's rocks. He loves throwing rocks in the creek, you know, like stuff that we all did when we were a kid or we cleaned the garage the other day. And like the little string that hangs down from your garage door opener, he's running up trying to like volleyball spike it. You know, so it's like just like you said or alluded to stuff like that, I think is so, so empowering for kids just to get out and create their own opportunities, find stuff to do that's active and fun for them. And like you said, the organized stuff is great, but it's got to be just a piece of the puzzle. It can't be the whole puzzle. So we talked about preventing crazy parents, what to do. How about crazy (laughs) high school football coaches or 
Olympic weightlifting enthusiasts that try to bring very technical tools <laughs> to a high school weight room when there are so many other things that could generally benefit an athlete. Oh, oh man. You might get me riled up here. Like, yeah, let's, let's go. Do it. <clears throat> we started up. Boy, so we, yeah, yeah, you dude. Yeah, I mean, and dude, you can go off on it, but like, there's this idea that, um, and I, it's kind of interesting that's permeated within recent that like, you're not athletic training unless you're doing some form of Olympic lifting. That seems yes. like like the, like the next biggest thing, and I'm like, man, this is. Uh, I feel it's kind of like nutrition, though, John, isn't it? Like how okay, here we are talking about like last year we we're talking about fasting with a lot of guys, and then that was also fucking 2007. I feel like this. Isn't there like an ebb and flow? It's got to be every seven to eight years that we deal with the same stuff. Yeah. So the big issue here is that, I mean, well, I don't even know where to start because there's so many issues with it. Like if we're being totally honest, like you look at first off, you've got classes of 60 to 80 kids, you know, with one or two instructors. So number one, the coach to athlete ratio is atrocious. They're basically forced to do this. You know, at least in Indiana, like there's so many schools here that have high school strength and conditioning or weights class, if you will. There's poor exercise selection, right? Based on the amount of coaching that you can do. There's a lack of progressions and regressions built in. Like, for example, seven, two kid that I worked with last year, 205 pounds. He's 15, seven, two. He does the same weights program that the five foot three volleyball player does. Like how asinine is that? Right. There's no reason this kid needs a barbell on his back. Like he's going to probably play at least division one basketball, if not play in the NBA, just by virtue of the fact that he's seven two. yet, you know, we're training him like he's everybody else. It's so frustrating. And I don't know who to be more mad about or who to be more mad at. Is it like, should I be mad at the school for putting this in place for the coach for prescribing the wrong thing, the parent for letting the kids do this? Like it's such a point of frustration for us because we deal with this again in our area. This is very prevalent. And I know in other areas of the U S it's not nearly as big a deal, but for us, literally almost every high school has a strength and conditioning program or they have a weights class. And so when it comes down to it, do you want to pay somebody privately to do this or do you just want to send your kids to weight class? And you know, the, the frustrating piece is like there's a local high school that we've gotten in one year, we got eight kids referred not to our training program, but into our physical therapy program because they had back problems from the weights program. Right. And those are just the kids that actually showed up. Like who knows how many other kids dealt with this stuff. And so coming back to the, temp the topic of Olympic weightlifting, like this is literally one of the most challenging lifts that you can do. The way I always try and describe it to my athletes is look, Olympic athletes train this stuff for eight, 10, 12 years to be proficient and we're going to teach you in eight weeks, 12 weeks. Like it's just not feasible. So if that's the piece of training that you want, right? Like if you want power development, Hey, let's go throw a freaking med ball or jump on a box. Let's find some way that you're not going to break yourself in the process. And so that's, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you don't know who to blame. There's so many issues top to bottom with the entire system as it's set up. But yeah, the, the Olympic weightlifting in those classes is borderline neg negligent because there's just no way, I don't care how good of a coach you are, it's very, very hard to give the attention to detail necessary to get what you want out of that program. I remember when they taught us to, uh, to do power cleans in high school. I remember uh, like they basically, they, they demoed it. We tried to do it would just look like this awful kind of like backbending reverse curlish thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I remember it was like, uh, this would have been like, 
what would this have been? This would have been like 1990. And I remember 1992, was it like the Olympics? I remember seeing like the 92 Olympics and seeing Olympic weightlifting and being like, oh, that's what they were talking about. <laughs> like, like I, I had never seen anybody Olympic lift. There was no videos. Like I never saw a picture, nothing. I just saw these guys like older dudes doing it. And I remember, what was it, 92? Where was that? The summer games? Barcelona. In Barcelona. I remember in high school, like uh, all of a sudden, like it comes on and I'm watching Olympic weightlifting and I was like, holy shit, man. Like, uh, that's what we were supposed to be doing. Like it just like, yeah. you know, and now I think like, well, there's uh, there's YouTube and there's video and they have phones and you have all of these different access to like a different modality that nobody should be confused. But oddly but, enough, people are still confused. Uh, but like just that fact of being able to say, hey, you know what, like um, here's here's how it's supposed to be done. This is what we're kind of moving towards. But like you said, at the end of the day, if uh, your only mode for developing athleticism and your only mode for being some form of dynamic pulling and jumping and moving is to do, you know, power clean or power snatch, I think you're leaving a lot on the table. And, you know, like you said, like uh, we do a lot of dynamic med bowl work. We do plyometrics. We run. We sprint. You're doing everything, which is what athletes have always done. I just think with like some of the admin of the CrossFit stuff where, you know, they place such a big emphasis on Olympic weightlifting and now this this idea of like if you're not doing something that looks like a snatch clean and jerk you are not training athletically would you say if you're a coach and you think you, you only have like one or two tools to do something that you really need to start like you should broaden your vision and search for more like this can't be the only fucking way to do this Right. Well, you got to wow. think, I mean, think about how many NFL players or, you know, hockey or, you know, basketball or whatever got to their position without ever doing a snatch clean and jerk. DeMarcus Ware. Not to say that those are not valuable right. tools. And, uh, you know, like I said, I think I told you, I, I uh, you know, Todd Rice coached me in college and all we did was snatch clean and jerk. And the amount of attention to detail and one on one coaching and mastery and like technique work that we did uh, would make most fucking people vomit. Yeah. Uh, just the <laughs> amount of time that it, and it took years to even become proficient to where he would say, uh, that doesn't look like fucking dog shit. And I remember being like, was that a compliment? <laughs> and like, I, and, and yeah, I remember for like a whole year it was like, that's fucking awful. I want to throw up. And then I remember one day being like, that doesn't look that, like dog shit. And I'm like, thanks I think but like that was a year of like just literally uh we only like I only front squatted we only push press and jerked and like that's all we did you know five days a week was that program and um you know and after a year you're talking about you know division one scholarship athletes start developing a little bit of proficiency uh yep. you know and then you're asking these kids to come in three days a week with just hey uh you know just pull the bar up and it's like I, I just think that there is a better system and there's a, a you know greater reward for you know I mean I always think about what's the max return for the minimal input and I, yep. I think just doing some you know like just some weighted you know like Charlie Francis med ball work and being able to work on some trunk and stability and be able to load and unload uh, just being able to 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 learn to to step off and be able to catch in an athletic position and protect yourself I mean just teaching some of these basics that people look and think man this isn't fancy but this is really the foundation of some athletic training that kids should learned years ago but unfortunately we're getting this position where kids are 14 and 15 years old and they don't even know the shit and i'm thinking yeah. to myself how where did we go off the rails or why is it today that kids aren't learning what they needed to in the in the formidable years and that's kind of the the, the part that we're kind of scratching our heads at yeah and again i hate to keep beating the drum but i, I just think they're just not getting developed right like it's if you look at the big pie it's lack of free play time outside it's more organized structured activities especially sports it's the fact that you know i don't know about you guys i had gym class every day as a kid my daughter has gym class one day a week for 30 minutes 
you know, and a lot of times it's something ridiculous like Payo or something like that. They have like a guest instructor come in, you know? So it's like, this is what, what do you want to pick? And, and then you try and figure out, okay, well, what's one thing I'm going to work on or address? Because, you know, the fact of the matter is it's a systemic issue. It's not just one thing that we can clearly say, this is the problem. It's like five or six issues that all funnel up to the point when, you know, we got 14 year old kids that come in our gym that you put a med ball in their hand and you have them throw it against the wall and they look amazing because they know how to rotate, but they can't skip, you know, they can't bear crawl. They don't have like just these basic kind of fundamental movement skills that we all cultivated from a very early age. So I want to put you back in the position we talked about where you're outnumbered one to 60 right? Yeah. And let's say, Mike, you're in charge of that training session. What would you, I mean, because that's how some of the guys that we, that, you know, look up to us and follow some of our training stuff. They're like, that's just what they're dealt and they got to do the best yep. they can. What would, what would the training look like for the, for the kids? Yeah. It's a great question. And I'll give you like a little story as to how I kind of figure this out because growing up, you can't tell now, but I was into powerlifting, tried to move some decently heavy weights. And so for me, a, a squat was a back squat. Like there was no other squat. Like it was a back squat. It was a bench press. It was a deadlift. And so even though I told myself I'm a power lifter, but I can coach people with, uh, you know, some clarity, I really couldn't. So I, I was working at this school, right. And again, very small high school at this point in time, I think they maybe had like 200 kids and, and nine through 12 and not athletes. It was like a charter school, right? So we had kids that literally had never played a sport in their life. And so, but they could play basketball here because it was so small. So I get these kids in the weight room on day one. It's like, all right, Monday we're squatting. And I try and put a barbell on all these kids back. And it was an absolute disaster. I mean, just total shit show. And so at that point in time, I realized really quickly and, and at this point, Dan John was really prolific in what he was writing. And he's talking about the goblet squat. I mean, so this is what, 2006, 2007. And I'm like, you know, that sounds really, really appealing to me right now. So at that point in time, I started to realize, okay, square peg, round hole. I got to try and figure out what is going to put these kids in the right position with the least amount of coaching for them to be successful. So it was basic stuff like that. It's like, hey, can you goblet squat or plate squat proficiently first? Can you kettlebell deadlift? And it, it's not the coolest stuff. Like you guys talk about the basics. It's not cool. It's not having 300 pounds on your back and, and box squatting it. But I'm teaching you how to move the right way. I'm building a movement foundation so that as we progress forward, hey, now that goblet squat's going to turn into a front squat. And hey, if you keep working at that, that front squat's going to turn into a back squat. So now we've got this menu of exercises that we can pull from. But I think that's what I would start with. I would take this really wide menu that we all know we've got all these exercises we can pull from and I'd condense it down. I'd make it incredibly simple. Like Joe Ken talks about his block zero. It's like, Hey, if you can't plate squat or goblet squat effectively, if you can't high handle hex bar deadlift effectively, why are we doing anything else? Like understand how to move in these basic foundational ways first, and then we can layer on and build from there. But I think that's what I would do. I would regress it down to the lowest common denominator and so, hey, the kid that's struggling with that, perfect. This is the right exercise for you. For the kid that's killing it, hey, all right, let's go from this goblet squat. We'll go to kettlebell. And you can just level up from there. But it's always a harder battle starting at the coolest exercise and then being like, oh, no, 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 bro, you're not ready for that. Let's regress and pull back. It's easier to progress somebody up. It's a totally different mindset 
if you take it in that approach versus the opposite and starting to peel stuff away and making somebody feel defeated like they're not successful or that they can't do something. So that's that's the baselining. But as time progresses, right, let's say you got these kids for a year, you're still outnumbered one to 70. Do you then what would the tactic be for trying to progress as skill is acquired? Yep. So number one, you got to, uh, this is where you have to have like your progressions in place, right? So you kind of know, like, look, if this person's killing this, they go to this, if they're killing this, they go to that. So you've got to have that dialed in. But I think if you're always going to think of it as one versus 60, you're going to fail. So what you have to do is find five, 10, 15 kids that you can count on. They're going to be like your group leaders. And we all have kids like this, right? Like I was just in the gym the other day. I had a small group of like four and I was helping another guy. And one of the guys was like, Hey dude, when you're, when you're deadlifting, your knees are kind of doing this. They need to go kind of back out. That's what you have to do. And you have to create this culture where the other kids feel like, Oh, Hey, I can help this person out. Right. And so there has to be an educational element to it of this is the model. This is how we want it to look. And then you coach them, but also if, these kids want to be involved. Like they want to help you coach if, especially if it's a team environment, like they want their peers to be successful. They want to help them and they want to feel involved. So if you can help them, man, I think that's the best case scenario because now it's not one versus 60 it's 10 or 15 helping coach an entire group. And then it's a lot more manageable. Yeah. Getting your little sidekicks. Yeah. And that, absolutely. That, that travels so much more than just the weight room because now you get these teammates that are able to practice communicating in a uh, constructive situation, right? Fixing the knees on the deadlift, that's the same as missing a play. And then they already are practicing communicating that feedback to each other and can take it versus getting offended or, you know, it's not only coming from the coach, it's coming from one another. You're absolutely right. And I think that part of communication is something that a lot of people struggle with, especially myself. Like I'm inherently kind of a people pleaser. You know, I don't want people to be mad at me, but as a coach, there's times you have to go there, right? Like you have to let somebody know, like, look, what you just did was not acceptable or it didn't meet our expectations. And so being able to cultivate that at a young age, I think is really critical. And that's something like that we've tried to do with our kids, you know, four and seven. It's like, Hey, if you feel some way, you've got to tell somebody that, right? And being able to express your emotions, express your feelings, take constructive feedback. I think that's something that's critically important just to be successful in life, let alone just in coaching. So that's something that we're trying to cultivate, you know, not just with the, you know, my kids personally, but with everybody at our gym is, is setting clear expectations, letting people know this is what we expect out of you. And then, you know, like if they don't uphold that, being okay and willing to have some of those for lack of a better term, crucial conversations, if you will. When uh, when people come to your gym, especially when you're working with the athletes, is there ever uh, kind of like a base level of fitness? Like this is something that's kind of been, I've been kind of rattling around, uh, you know, whenever we kind of talk to people, especially people like, uh, you know, that have had like the breath of experience like you have, um, there's always this kind of this personal definition of fitness. Uh, you know, CrossFit, uh, you know, Greg Glassman defined his version and just happens that it's kind of self-serving for their training style. But I always thought yep. about fitness in terms of being useful and the mm-hmm. idea of like, you know, am I fit enough to be able to accomplish the task? So I wonder when, um, you know, you bring, you know, kids come in or, you know, because I, I imagine you kind of have a very kind of demographic at your place. But is yep. there ever like kind of a... Um, you know, kind of like baseline that you look for, for fitness. That's something that, uh, is kind of even a little more striking for me with my daughters. And then like seeing like 
their friends and the kids that kind of come over and like uh, I would say my daughters are pretty fit uh, just for the fact like that they run and play and move and uh, yeah, sure. just like seeing other kids like take a knee or kind of you know like not want to play as much and so I'm kind of like starting to kind of just develop this idea of like what would be like a um, you know if somebody were to show up how could you kind of assess them and say all right like the training is fine like we obviously need to teach people how to move better but unfortunately, if you don't have a base level of fitness, uh, we're never going to be able to do enough volume of work to really ever drive towards our goal. So yeah. like, is, is that something that you see or is that something that you kind of quantify? Yeah, it's not something we do the best job of quantifying. If I'm being transparent, I feel like it's something we used to do more of back in the day is like, it sounds so rudimentary, right? But looking at somebody's resting heart rate, you know, if somebody's got a resting heart rate of 80, 90 hundred beats per minute. Like that's a general, right. It's, and we've had that, like we've had guys show up on our doorstep with a resting heart rate of a hundred and we actually had to turn them away. Like, look, you got to go see your doc, get your blood pressure checked, get this sorted out before you train with us. Cause I want somebody to like stroke out on the gym floor, but you know, I think you're absolutely right. And, and this is something that we start with because people want fat loss, right? Like your gin pop people. If we distill it down to that demographic, like the lay person that wants to get in better shape, their general work capacity is so low. It takes months to get them to a point where we can actually start pushing the volume and the intensity to a point where they can see those changes. Now, chances are if they just start working out, if they start watching their diet a little bit, making a little bit better health decisions overall, they're going to shed some body weight but it's just brutally slow because these people are so deconditioned walking in off, off the street. And it, it's something I was just having this discussion the other day with one of my staff, like when you played sports your whole life, you develop this, what I, what I would describe as a massive, whether it's an aerobic engine, this massive work base of work capacity, you keep that for a really long time. But unfortunately there's a whole generation now that hasn't been active they don't have that base. And so like building that from the ground up is just incredibly time consuming. So it's funny, we've actually built this into our business model to a degree because at our gym, like we don't sell packages. I won't train you for a month. We do a trial for a month, but then if you want to sign up, it's a year because we need that long-term commitment. If you've got 50 to hundred pounds to lose, bro, the 21 day detox isn't going to cut it. That's you mean not going to get you where you want to go. I just can't do the juice detox. No, no, I got a, I got a juice. It's like a lemon and hot pepper. <laughs> it, it works. I'm telling you. It's Dude, uh, just, a month. <laughs> just, just a side note, like in the morning we listen to the radio and uh, um, they always have this spot for this thing, which is here in Austin, which is uh, it's a juice cleanse delivery. They deliver you your juice cleanse to you to wherever you are at home or work. And you pay in and they deliver and the guy's like, oh, I feel great. My 21 day detox on the juice cleanse and the whole thing. And I'm just a man. And like I hear and I think to myself, like, I want to know who fucking signs up for it. And I want to know what it looks like. I just want to see what it is. Dude, you know, we should start <laughs> that and be like, and be like, it's one juice a day accompanied by a Kobe tomahawk and just fucking uh, just steak and a juice. Oh, I, I thought you meant Kobe tomahawk, me tomahawk chopping them in the face. <laughs> no, I'm like, gonna, hey, we're going to show up with the juice and I'm going to open hand slap you and punch you in the gut. <laughs> yeah. And then fucking belittle you to get to the gym. So for $9.99 a day, I will show up with the juice and fucking belittle you to the gym <laughs> yeah it's like, a, Dude, like yeah, there might be a market there yeah you don't know, like, there might be a market man uh i had a uh i did have somebody um he said a bat well that's a huge fucking butterfly 
No, that's a fucking that's bat. That's a bat, dude. dude. That dude. is not a bat. That's a butterfly, bro. Hold on. We think we have a bat. Hang on. Yeah, Mike, you got to pause. Listeners, I'm going to try and get a picture of this. Stand by. Uh, <laughs> dude. Well, uh, we can keep it rolling. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a guy, or actually, I think it was a girl. I can't remember if it was a girl or a guy, but basically what they wanted me to do was film a video belittling uh, their significant other into training. And I was like, ah, I'm not going to do that. This well, uh, yeah, that was my wife. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a buddy. So Rudy Reyes was out at the last symposium, and I guess buddy follows him on Instagram, and, and it's his, basically his like man crush. Man crush. Yeah. So he wanted me to film a video of Rudy, basically calling him, calling him a lazy piece of shit. I'll, I'll link it up to this. But <laughs> did Rudy do it? Oh yeah. Yeah. In He's the like, Whole Foods parking ass. lot and. Just he got into it. It was very motivating. Uh, it was it was awesome. But Mike, now, you know who Rudy Reyes is, don't you? I think so. Yeah, yeah. he's yeah. Uh, Generation Kill. He's yeah, he's yeah he's uh, Rudy's uh, a great. He's almost like uh, I mean I love him to death. He's almost like a cartoon character. He's the best. <laughs> so uh, just the fact that uh, um, he uh, like I guess you could say um, never misses an opportunity to get like pretty much naked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we were, like we were at oh, Summer Strong. Yeah, we we were at Summer Strong, and then all of a sudden we just look over and Rudy being in silkies, just like like combat boots and silkies, no shirt, no nothing. And I'm like, <laughs> and, and, and you know the crazy part is if, if anybody else did it, we'd be like, bro, put your clothes on. But Rudy's in good shape and you know good looking dude. So you're like, it just it's yeah. kind of his uniform, and everybody's like, oh, I'm good with it. <laughs> so I want to go back to this this uh, what, this juice cleanse. I think we call it Wellborn's Punch Cleanse. And it's oh, like yes. literally punch. punching you until you just go like exercise. Fruit punch. <laughs> Oh, are, are you talking about like Kool-Aid? Hey, hey, hey. And yeah, I like kick the, in the door the power wearing athlete, a red suit. Power athlete punch cleanse. That has a ring Ooh, to I it. I like that. It's got a <laughs> ring. Oh, dude. I, I just hear this like infomer, like this like commercial on the radio. And I just like, I'm, I'm imagining who's listening to it and being like, yeah, you know what? I'll pay $9.99 and this guy's going to show up with a juice at my work every day. And I'm going to get through this juice cleanse. and I'm going to some magically get in shape. And the guy talks about how he feels amazing. And I'm thinking like, are there, there's people that are buying this. Yeah, there are. Yeah. And then they probably end up at a spot like like Mike's, and they're like, "Well, I've tried this juice cleanse, and it didn't really work. Yeah. I'm still 200 fucking." Well, I'm sorry to cut you off. You're but, going on. Uh, no, no, no. But 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 that's that's our whole thing, right? It's like, look, if that's what you're looking for, very clearly you're not a good fit for us. Mm-hmm. So we do the year because like that. Maybe it doesn't take a year to achieve your goals, but we're we're about creating real habit change, about setting you up with this lifestyle of being fit, staying in shape, working out routinely. So that's why, you know, it it's very much a deterrent. And and I've had battles with my staff about this. They're like, oh, you know, if we would do a three month or if we would do an open-ended contract, I'm like, no, this is like the reason we do this is because it's self-selecting. Mm-hmm. And if you're not interested in committing to a year, then I don't want you. And if that's so, the plat- if that's the platform you're starting from, like the sooner, and maybe that person's listening, or maybe you have a family member, but the sooner you realize that it's a life sentence, right? The, mm-hmm. the change, the change towards wellness, health, whatever you want to fucking call it, right? It's a life sentence. Like it's not just a vacation spa. Like you're going to take a fucking thirty week <laughs> cleanse and be fine. No, it's like, dude, I just got that every email. Every single day, the rest of your life. And I just got that email scary. today. That should be fucking rewarding. Like I just got that email today from a guy who is what he say he was like forty six, fifty pounds overweight, and he yeah. was kind of going through this whole thing. And he's like, dude, I need fucking help. Uh, I have. I mean, Luke, Luke can pull it up. But the guy's like, we just adopted a new baby. I got a twenty one year old CrossFit son who's like kicking ass. Like, like basically like sends out the signal flare and. Uh, mm-hmm. and like, you read it, John? Yeah, yeah, read it. All right, so here it goes. Well, this guy's name is um, he, he doesn't Zorro. Give his name. Yeah. We'll call him Zorro. Um, Zorro writes, 
Thank you for your time and for sharing your knowledge. I'm 42 years old, 5'10", 290 pounds, 43% body fat. Sad, I know. I'm doing jujitsu two times a week, but need to add some strength and conditioning into my life and uh, so I'm not so fat. Time for a change. My kids deserve a better father and example. Wife deserves a sexier husband, and I'm meant to be more. Max lifts last year were 305 bench, 325 squat, uh, was below parallel, whatever that means, uh, 405 deadlift, not impressive because I'm fat and I can do and I can't do pull-ups. I need a well-rounded program, yada, yada, yada. Where do I start? Oh, wow. I mean, you think about that, like uh, 290 pounds, 43% body fat is roughly, what would they, 29.4, call that 30 times four, so 120, around 120 pounds, 120 pounds of excess body fat. Mm -hmm. So at that point, you're looking at like, what would it be, 170 pounds of lean body mass, bone, blood, and, and water. Mm -hmm. Wow. And you know, it's like, life, but like that, that right there for, you're talking 42 year old dude who's looking to like, that's a yeah, life sentence. But, well, yeah, life sentence. But I, I want to know like, where did it turn before this? So I like, we always get the emails like this, like I'm 42, I'm 43% body fat. When were you like yep. 30 and it wasn't an issue? When were you 20? Like, have you always been heavy? Like, like where did, I mean, was it the fact that you were like, Hey, I'm, I, I want to get stronger for jujitsu, which is admirable or the fact like, Hey, uh, I don't want to fucking die because, uh, yeah. over 40%, like you are, you know, morbidly obese. I think I, I forgot what exactly, uh, my NSAM is old, but I, I know you're like morbidly obese. You're 42, 510, 290 puts you at a BMI of what, like, and I don't trust a BMI of like 60. A lot. Yeah. Heavy. And you're in a situation, yeah. I, I just wonder, like, what are the life changes leading up to this? And actually, I, I hit the guy back, like, tell me the story, man. Like, like where did it get broken? Um, yes. You know, like, I mean, obviously, if you want, if you picked up jujitsu, most dudes at 42 go do, want to do old, ju old guy jujitsu, have some form of training in their history. So I always wonder, like, but, like, there's a situation where, you know, if he goes to Mike, he has to sign up for a year. And I'd be like, honestly, I'm not going to invest uh, any time in you today unless you sign up for a year and you come fucking every day. Even if it's yeah. just to show up and wave and say hello, mm -hmm. you show up yeah. every day just so that I see you. And I always do like a, this situation mm -hmm. where it's like, I want to see your eyes every day. Even if yeah. you don't come in to train, you have to show up and we have to know that this is a life change. And I, um, I wrote a blog post years ago that, you know, was basically said, it's like, nobody's hiding around the corner to save you. And a lot yes. of times like, uh, you know, nobody's there to snatch you and pull you in and, you know, shake you and say, Hey, come do this. Some, some dude shoots out a signal flare and like, I would have added that thing like, Hey man, how do I do have a consult and try to get my life unfucked? And, um, yeah. you know, and unfortunately, um, most people need like a community. You need like a Luke and a Tex and a John, you know, cause you know, we show up and train in the morning and belittle each other. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I'm, and Michael relate to this. I can't wait till you guys have kids. I cannot oh, wait. Yeah. I've got a system. Dude, I'm listening so, to guys like Mike with all the, you know, dude, <laughs> accidentally and so, asking these things. So, uh, you just bring them to Mike's gym. I tried to go out. to bed last night early, like 9.30, right? And at like midnight, my son gets up. My daughter comes down. Like there That's was so like, uh, like six times I got up. At one point, like my wife got up and I think she stumbled over one of the kids. And like, <laughs> I, I like get up at 5.30 and I'm trying to like get out the door and I'm like, oh I, I my God. I can't believe you stay up that late. I was in bed by 8.30. <laughs> I mean, I slept through the night. Uh, perfect dark room. I can't. I can't I wait for I set the thermostat down to 68. I like to be chilly, you know? And then uh, it's great. Oh, I, I watched Heat last night. 
you can't just pull up 90s movies when you got kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, that's well, true. Well, the, uh, the other day, I like, so, like whenever cool movies come on, I get all excited. And then like all of a sudden I look around, I see the kids sitting there. Some dude's getting his head cut off. Yeah, and I'm can't like, watch Heat with kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. It teaches them a life lesson. Uh, what was the movie? Uh, like Tombstone was on the other day. And like, it, you know, just like all this stuff. And I look over and the girls are like, oh. Uh, yeah, why? What's a whore? I'm like, okay, let me change this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh you know? <laughs> it's just, ah, uh, this isn't good. Yeah. And then my wife yeah. yells at me, just gives me the look. And you're like, yeah, I know. Yes. I'm, yeah. I'm trying so, to go ahead, Mike. Go now, ahead. If I could give uh, Zorro, if that's what we're calling him, two pieces of advice. Yeah. I would say, number one, I love the idea. Like you said, seeing the eyes every day, the way I describe it, you got to punch the clock every day. You got to do something, right? If, I don't care if it's one push up right? One body weight squat, because chances are, if you'll do one, you'll do a set of 10, right? Or if you do that one hip flexor stretch, you'll do a little bit more or, you know, so punch the clock every day. And this is where I think most people go wrong, not just training, but life, you got to play the long game, right? It's not, you're not going to be 220 and ripped in a week, right? But you might be 288, you know, and in a month you may be 282 or 280 if you're really like killing it. So you got to think long game. And I think that's where it's, it's really unfortunate because oftentimes these people get so far along, right? Like you alluded to John, like this doesn't happen overnight. So the change doesn't happen overnight and, and that's where they get frustrated. So they may do great for a month and then they have a bad week. And the next thing you know, that week turns into a bad year and now they're 300 or 305. So you got to, you got to punch the clock every day and you got to think about and play the long game. Yeah. And a, a recent podcast, uh, dude on there was talking about just lowering the bar, you know, right? Small incremental yes. upward trajectory. And just those small incremental gains is goes back to Andy's talks symposium. With 2014 the, with the is like, you know, a stack of dominoes, right? Uh, your average size domino, if you double it in size, it's, you know, there's some statistic where the inertia will push over the Empire State Building or something like that. Yeah, within like 10 dominoes, so I yeah. think it was what it was. So it's just like the, the power of the incremental gain, and it's, it's like, you're, like you're talking, and by doing that, it allows you to punch the clock every day and, and get some forward progress and upward trajectory. Yeah. But don't you think like some people, um, like I know for us especially, like uh, we've been uh, like every – periodically every so often we need like some form of like bet and uh like we'll kind of do some like contests here where it's like hey let's do something and so we set a bunch of parameters and like i came down to the realization that for me especially it's uh money uh food and shame like i want some money on the line <laughs> i want uh, yep. somebody to like make a dinner so at least we get something to celebrate and then i need some shame which is like i need to do this or something bad's gonna happen like uh you <laughs> right. know like some weird t-shirt or you know we get text waxed mm -hmm. and uh you know just as bikini lines mm -hmm. you know something good but like i think <laughs> uh sometimes people need a motivation um and i think like sometimes too big a motivation like hey this guy like um and then i and really just goes back to that goal setting andy talked about which is hey i'm a 200 you know 510 290 uh you know and i need to be and i guarantee if, if we hit him back he's gonna be like well I, you know i need to be 170 and you're like all right. right like why don't we why don't we make the goal of like like you said 285 
Mm-hmm. And then like, if we get to 285, yeah. let's get to 280. And like, let's make these small incremental so that things don't seem so monumentous. Right. And then all of a sudden, like seven months from now, all of a sudden, if, uh, you know, even if you're 240 or this, I mean, at least we're f- closer to our goal. Whereas I think people put these huge, you know, huge tasks upon themselves that look insurmountable. Like, Hey, I want to squat a thousand pounds. Well, have you squatted 900? No, I'm still at 300. And you're like, why don't we just get to 305? Like, <laughs> right. I, I just think in, in our society, it's like, you know, we have to dream big in this. And I'm like, let's just do small digestible things. Like how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? These kind of these small pieces. So, um, but we run into this bigger piece where, you know, let's say we work with this guy or, you know, he shoots an email and it's like, we don't really have this personal way to, to, to form accountability. So then like, how do you, like the, this is the thing I constantly wrestle with. Like, how do you have this, um, like, how do you take it into a personal space? Because I mean, dude, a healthy individual isn't going to end up being five, nine, two ninety in this situation, sends out a desperate email to info. So like, what's kind of broken on this piece? Like, how do you mm-hmm. fix it? Cause I mean, if it was just a, a physical thing, we could do it, but is there more to it? And then it's like the training space idea. And it goes back to where you were talking in the very beginning of this episode. It's about making the connection. Like if you can't, if we can't make a connection with this guy over email, then he will not sacrifice himself for our for yeah. our instruction right yeah so but sorry to cut you off like i know you're on no 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 I, I was gonna agree wholeheartedly with you i think this is one of the if not the biggest one of the biggest drawbacks to online coaching because this is something i'm dealing with with uh, one of my online clients right now she goes through these phases where she's absolutely killing it right and just crushing you know crushing her workouts the nutrition's on point and then something happens and then we regress, right? And that's where as committed as they can be to us, there's still to some degree a lack of accountability because they don't see us all the time in person. And so that's where I really tried to impress upon her like, hey, can we find some sort of local support system for you? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's a workout buddy. Maybe it's a group X class. It's like, I don't care what you do, but something to feel accountable to on a more regular basis than just when you check in with me via, you know, like our online check-ins. Because at the end of the day, I think a lot of these people that get like this, they don't have a support structure in place, right? And the, the hardest part is if you've ever been around somebody that doesn't have a supportive partner, like that's the worst case scenario. You got the one person that is really committed and, you know, they want to meal prep and train six days a week. And the other, you know, partner just wants to like Netflix and chill. Like that sounds like just me and my doesn't wife. With, work. With a tub of peanut butter. It's, that sounds just like me and my wife, except my wife is the one meal prepping at six days a week. Yeah, and you're uh, eating the peanut butter. And I'm eating the peanut butter. I'm like, can we just chill and watch Netflix? <laughs> but, but there's got to be a support structure in place. And if you don't have that, you know, if it, if it goes online and that's enough for them, then that's great. But there are certain people, I don't know, I don't want to call them needy, but there's some people that just need more regular accountability. They need face-to-face interaction. And if they don't have that, they're going to struggle. How do we fix that? Well, see, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing though, John, because think of when we first moved out here, you, you stumbled across an art of manliness podcast, right? About like the tribalism of Mm. men. Yeah. yeah, And just, and, and I think that it's in because I consider myself kind of a tribal or pack guy, right? If, no. If the crew is doing it, you know I'm fucking doing it. You know what I mean? Uh, Luke, like the wolf pack? Just a, oh, yeah. For sure, dude. Uh, Luke just got married, okay. and uh, so all of his wolf pack came to town. And uh, Oh, yes. Uh, it was... Um, <laughs> you can see these guys. Uh, I, I have never in my life um, seen a group of individuals that were 
least offended is that a word like not yeah. a, like i don't think there was ever i mean like you know like uh, i've traveled in a lot of circles and whatever and there's always a few people that are offended by something i don't think anything offended any of your friends which to me was by far the most <laughs> interesting thing that nobody was angry nobody was offended no i mean dude when i uh i punched it like so as as this whole thing's erupting at Luke's wedding, <laughs> one of his buddies decides that he's going to put Luke on his shoulders yeah. and carry him around the room. The dance floor. Uh, the dance floor. Solid. At which point I, I uh, go over and I basically just start punching him in the stomach, yeah. waiting for him Wide to open. fall like a, like a ton of bricks and drop <laughs> Luke. And the dude is just taking these blows, but he would not go down nope, because uh, he, he didn't want to drop his boy. And then the best part is I thought he was going to be pissed. And he was what? like, that was the best. He's like, dude. And then when you were punching me and he's like, I didn't draw. Like, I was like, man, you can't offend any of these dudes. And then people are like, you were punching. Uh, what, what's his? Um, uh, we'll call him Larry. Yeah. Yeah. We'll call Larry. Uh, punching Larry and he, and he was probably he's like this best part of the wedding. Yeah, and to paint the scene for you, Mike, uh, everybody was shirtless uh, except <laughs> well, the dudes were. Uh, the ladies were just outside, like trying to like make sure no one, none of the kids got hurt. Yeah. Right? It was pretty <laughs> epic. But no, I think and like so going back to that and like the, the struggle there is maybe that is you know if you I bet you were to ask what if a you know would you be shocked if he's like man I don't know I moved we, we moved I couldn't find a network of bros to fucking hang with I'm well, stuck like, with six daughters and, is it like ugh. like is there a way and and this is uh um this is actually pretty good you know information and actually I would love if uh, the listeners of the podcast would actually respond to this and shoot us some ideas is there any way where we could create almost like dude support groups like like uh, hives, you know, like, uh, you know, pl- like places around oh, the country. I've got 30 potential hive masters. That we could <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, think, think about that. Like, let's say you were this dude and he's in, uh, I don't know, fucking Charlotte, North Carolina. And we're like, Oh shit, we have, uh, you we know, we got a Henry block one coach. Yeah. We, firefighter. We, we got this dude here and he's your fucking, he's your guy. Uh, he's your power athlete, dude. He's, he's part like like he's in your, uh, like your tribe now. Sweet mustache. But that is what, I mean, that is what the micro gym I think has done. And, you know, it it started, I guess, as a CrossFit gym, but that's empowered all sorts of little micro gyms to pop up and become uh, a potential centralized hub or hive of like-minded individuals surrounded by activity and becoming healthy and well, right? But the problem, too, is you run in, and as Mike knows, with the micro gym model is a lot of times people are so focused on keeping the fucking lights on. Sure. And, like, running the classes and doing all that that they really lose that kind of personal no, connection sure. piece. And so I, I wonder if there's like, and, and I, I imagine at some point, dude, there's going to be like, and actually I think the Art of Manliness guy in that podcast was like, what if we had like Art of Manliness centers around the country? And I thought to myself, I'm like, shit, man, maybe, maybe it becomes like something like that where all of a sudden now it's like, you know, this guy has somebody there who's like, you know, um, like within the tribal kind of sense. And I, I, that, that podcast was extremely insightful in that it talked about uh, that through life, um, you're not always the leader in everything, that every group needs like a leader. Like let's say you're really good at, at this piece, like Luke's a tech guy, and I, I'm not a tech dude. So, uh, well, I, a little bit, but I'll always default. I'll be like, Luke, what do you think of this? And he's like kind of holds that, you know, like I'm not asking techs, tech questions because I'm pretty sure he... 
So this is a computer. Text. You know, yeah, yeah. This oh, is basic. The internet's on computers. Now? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but like some of the stuff, like uh, you know, whether it be you know, Harry, this. I mean, we have like within our collective. I think that uh, there's kind of a chief and an Indian piece where everybody has a, a small leadership piece. And I think uh, yeah. when they were talking about this kind of collective, that if you're always like the uh, the brave, if you're always like the uh, you know the student, and I think it was like the student and the teacher, then like you never really progress into the group that you have to become like a, a leader in some way. And so like yes. that, that's the empowering piece. And then all of a sudden the role reversal is not only like the leader becomes a student, but they talked about like healthy structures and, um, fuck, I, I gotta go back and re-listen to that podcast. Mm-hmm. It was a good one. I was going to say, I need to listen to that because uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try to dig it up and find it. The guy wrote a really good book. Uh, the guy that they had on wrote yeah. a good book. I'll, I'll go back and send it to you. But, um, it just, just to me was, uh, constantly thinking about like, you know, cause we have a huge online community and, you know, obviously people listen to the podcast, sure. follow the training. Uh, how do we, you know, it would be uh, like when we taught a ton of seminars, we got to go out and meet all these individuals and we always got to hear the stories and this. And it was like we actually got to go out and like, in, you know, engage. And we don't really get to do that other than through the symposium or whatever we're kind of doing here. But I think there has to be a way to like send this guy a signal flare and be like, you're going to do this, you're going to do this and you're going to go here. And these are going to become your tribe because sounds like that dude needs a fucking needs a flare. And, yeah, you know, yeah, he needs he he needs somebody to constantly be there for him, you know. And whether that's you guys via the online piece, whether that's somebody locally, I mean, that's just sheer overwhelm. You know, at some point that's going to hit him. Like even if he's having success, even if you get okay, let's say you lose five or ten pounds, it's still going to be like shit. I got another hundred to go. You know, so even your best day becomes your worst day because you realize, wow, I'm still so far from where I want to be. So that's where you got to have that support system in place. Well, I mean, uh, when we were at SummerStrong, we hung out with uh, Jen Wiederstrom, who was on The Biggest Loser. And uh, by far one of my most interesting uh, things I've ever watched is The Biggest Loser. And seeing that, like, the way that show is structured is juxtaposed to everything that you want. Like, uh, like for mm-hmm. those people, like they're heavy. So I'm going to put you into a situation where I'm going to like gauge your workouts and I'm going to weigh you, which is like your biggest fear. And then based upon your ability to lose weight, I'm either going to keep you or get rid of you, which to me like flies in the face of like, you're basically setting this thing up based off of the exact problems and neuroses that probably got the people there. And we're going to turn on cameras and see it all happen, which, uh, she was pretty interesting. And she's like, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting environment and there's a reason that, you know, people get into it and this, and she's like, it was definitely a very eye opening and has kind of pushed her to empower people in a different way. But, um, you know, that kind of idea of like, man, like how do you get people ready? But no, it was a good email today and, uh, um, hopefully we can find a way to help that guy, whether it's through some programs or, you know, just being able to give us more information. Cause man, there needs to be some centers of wellness, dude. Like, like how do you, you know, cause I guarantee there's more people out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, good chat. You got something? Yeah, just a little bit. I wanted to highlight your physical preparation 101 course that you got out there yep. for coaches and one piece in particular. So okay. you, you have a section on intelligent approach to conditioning. And yep. we talked about Zorro. We talked about middle school age kids who, you know, probably wouldn't weight lift. And then we have high school age kids who are just getting into it. I see different purposes for conditioning for all these different populations. So what are the, some of the aspects that you have in that section that could kind of help guide a coach's approach versus a one-size-fits-all conditioning-type program? 
Yeah, I think the big the big part or the big point that I try and drive home there is that there's principles behind everything that we do, right? Just like there's principles behind strength training, you know, whether it's progressive overload, that sort of thing. There's basic principles behind conditioning too. And I think too often we just default to whatever's trendy or sexy at the time. A lot of times the fat loss industry unfortunately influences the strength and conditioning industry. Because I mean, if you follow the fat loss, I mean, we all know that Tabatas cure everything. They make you incredibly resilient and you can go play a soccer, you know, like. Well, it's four minutes. Going with this. It's four minutes. Right. Yeah. Four minutes cures everything. I'm conditioning. So, so it, the big piece that I tried to, to put in there is like, look, conditioning is, is progressive just like anything else. So if you're smashing people on day one, you wouldn't take somebody in the gym and test their one RM squat their first day they ever lifted, right? Yet we have no issue putting them through the prowler gauntlet of death on day one just to show them that we can make them tired and sore. So it's like, hey, let's follow these basic principles, right? So let's start with extensive work, like longer duration, lower intensity, joint sparing type stuff, and then get into the hardcore sexy stuff. Let's find ways that we can unload your body early on, whether it's, you know, riding a bike or doing a rower or something that's not going to just destroy them versus going out and jogging for 30 minutes. So these are the things that I'm always trying to impress upon people is like so much of what we do, especially early on is just common sense. If we take a step back and we just recognize, and we really think about this, like, is this the smart thing to do? A lot of times we realize, no, it's probably not. It's just what I've always done. Or it's what I, the people that I've been around have always done. So it's just trying to bring kind of the needle back to the middle a little bit here. And, and so that's what I'm always trying to impress upon people is if you look at conditioning the same way you look at strength and you use some of those same basic principles, it makes everything that you do from a conditioning perspective more important. And like to your point, too often we want to just do the super high intensity stuff right off the bat versus, you know, if somebody's got crap work capacity, that's probably one of the first things that we need to do. If you just give them the ability to do more work, then they're going to lose fat faster. They're going to lose weight faster. They're going to feel better faster. They're going to sleep better faster. So these are the things that I try and impress upon people in that it's only like a 45 minute video, but I think it's really, really important because so many coaches, it's just, it's an area where we haven't been educated well enough. And so kind of taking that step back and, and just looking at it through a really basic lens of what are some best practices when it comes to conditioning and then, you know, kind of giving them ways to progress and evolve their approach from there. Beautiful. We've been on for like an hour and a half or hour 15. Wow. It only felt like five minutes. I know. Good chat, Mike. Yeah. Thanks, man. That yeah. was awesome. So if people no. want to sniff you out, where do they, where do they go to follow you? Yeah. Robertsontrainingsystems.com is the easiest place. Um, you can find everything that I do there from social. Yeah. Articles, podcasts, video stuff. Like I try and, and create a lot of different content because I don't know what medium is going to resonate with what person. Mm-hmm. And I just try and create a ton of value for people. So that would be the best place. Robertsontrainingsystems.com. There you go. Get on it, people. And that's another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Conditioning. Ing. 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 Hey, Mike, thanks a lot, man. And uh, the best to you on your journey, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks, fellas. I, I appreciate it. Mike, All the best. Mike, I'll be up in Indy in January at the 
coaches clinic. NCAA coaches conference. Co- yeah. Yes, so I'll be there too. Cool. I'll, I'll be speaking this year, man. So I want you. I want you front row. I love it, man. I love it. Let's uh, big coffee. Let's connect like like ooh, big coffee. Yeah, you're gonna need a big coffee. <laughs> For me. Well, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, so you don't. Uh, you know the Texas riveting talk. Uh, so he's gonna be doing. Are you doing it? The whole speedo thing up there. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'll be showing off my new line that John John himself will be taking care of. Oh, are, are you talking about your bikini lines? Yeah. yeah. yeah Loser yeah. gets to shave Tex. I'm not. I'm not that one. Uh, I don't know, man. He looks kind of like a hairy guy. That could be. Oh, uh, yeah, he looks. <laughs> yeah. He's kind of like Austin Powers, you know. Arr. Hairy like animal. I love All it. Right. All right. Good show, peeps. Appreciate right. it. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Thanks, guys. And scene. Clear. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, thank you. See you guys. Mike, I'm going to follow up with a quick email and kind of get you addressed so we can get you some power athlete gear and then um, link up when the, the show is posted in a week or two. Yeah, please definitely let me know. I'll put it out to uh, my social, my newsletter list. Awesome. Always trying to, uh, I appreciate you guys bringing me on. So anything I can do to help promote, just let me know, okay? Sounds great. It. Look forward to it. Sounds good. Thank All you, right, fellas. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. It's time for you to empower your performance. Find Mike Robertson on Instagram at Rob Train Systems or go directly to his website, robertsontrainingsystems.com. And now for your weekly dose of why you should attend the Power Athlete Symposium in Austin, Texas, December 7th through 9th. You may witness a Christmas miracle. No shit. Last year, it fucking snowed in Austin. And from everything that I know about weather anomalies and things that I've seen on ancient aliens, this is borderline terrifying because it could mean the end of days. In which case, don't you want to be surrounded by some of the most physically and mentally tough folks in the game? I thought so. Anyway, come to the symposium and uh, you won't be disappointed unless it's uh, the apocalypse. Until next time. Bye. Behind, take my foot off the pedal for one more line. Ain't no way I'm going back. I'm a loaded freight train and I'm right on track. I'm-